boy, how are we going to do this one? <laughs> um, uh, I'll go ahead and tell you, your, your pastor um, is an expository preacher. Um, and what that means is that on a day-to-day basis, when I'm preparing my sermons, I sit down and I open my Bible and I go through books. I go verse by verse. I go line by line. There are way more benefits than that that I have time to explain just in one setting. But one of those things that means is that I, as a pastor, don't have the luxury of just preaching comfortable things. I don't get to pick a hobby horse and just kind of, you know keep going on it for week after week and preach the same thing over and over and over. Uh, And and especially when some things are culturally difficult, I have to preach on them because they're in God's Word. And frankly, I as a pastor don't get to decide what God has said. It's my job to say what God has said and to explain what it means. Now, there's nothing really controversial in this text today, but strictly because of some of the words that are used in context and concepts that are covered uh, this is the kind of thing that if you say it wrong, you may end up with CNN on your doorstep. Uh, yet there are several of those. So I'll tell you what we're going to do. That normally I explain the text first, and then we'll turn around and we'll read it. What I'm going to do is we're going to read it first, and then I'm going to turn around and explain to you what we're doing today. So if you would stand with me out of the respect for the reading of God's Word, we're going to start in, ch- in chapter 6, verse 5, and we're going to read down through the end of verse 9. Chapter 6, verse 5 of the book of Ephesians. Bond servants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling and sincerity of heart as to Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will doing service as to the Lord, and not to men, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. And you masters do the same things to them, giving up threatening, knowing that your own master also is in heaven and there is no partiality with him. Father, I pray that you would give me wisdom to explain this text um, for what it means, um, Lord, that it would be clear and that it would point us to you. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Uh, Let's get the uncomfortable truth out of the way and, and, and go ahead and address it. Uh, this word bond servant is the Greek word doulos. The easiest way to explain what that word means is it means bond servant or slave. That, that, that is exactly the word that Paul is using here. And let's go ahead and get another uncomfortable truth out of the way. In this passage, Paul does not attack the institution of slavery. He doesn't do that. However... Does that mean that the pastor is saying the Bible is okay with the institution of slavery? Absolutely not. In fact, I believe it is the most opposed to the idea of slavery. It's the most opposed text to it of of any era of the world. And I'll explain why. Paul is using these words, he's using these concepts because they were a reality of the culture at the time. What the Bible does from beginning all the way to the end is destroy the philosophical underpinning that allows slavery to comfortably exist in society. And by the way, let me just as a matter of fact tell you that uh, slavery still exists today. It's still real. Um, 
How many, are, are any of you in here football fans? Am I the only one? Uh, it's total coincidence I'm wearing a red tie today. It's not go dogs. Yes, I'll say it. Um, any of y'all ever watch the Super Bowl on a yearly basis? I do my best to forget the last one. But, yes, amen, I, I see you, yes. Um, do you know what follows the Super Bowl around from year to year? The largest instance of the sex slave and human trafficking industry in the world follows the Super Bowl from city to city on a yearly basis. Slavery still exists. It didn't just end with the end of the Civil War. Slavery still exists. It's not good. Slavery legally has been outlawed in the United States since the end of the Civil War. It should be outlawed. The Bible is opposed to it. God is opposed to it. But it still exists. The way that the Bible destroys the idea of slavery is that it teaches every human being, man, woman, boy, and girl, is made in the image of God and possesses value strictly because of that. Christianity made first-time-in-the-world arguments against slavery in favor of abolition based on this concept and... The church was honestly leaders in abolishing slavery as an institution. Now, you may think, well, wait a minute. If I remember American history, there were plenty of Christians that owned slaves. Yeah, they got it wrong. They did. And we as a culture are still paying the price for that. But I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about back in the 300s A.D., I want to take you back to a 4th century church father named Gregory of Nyssa. He is the first person in the history of the world to make an argument against slavery as an institution. In the words of a scholar, um, This is a breathtaking departure since we have no other existing criticisms of slavery from the entire ancient world. Quote, it was no small distinction to be the earliest human alive to have left an argument for the basic injustice of slavery. What was it that prompted Gregory to do this? It's the fact that God created men, women, boys, and girls in His image. And it is such an arrogant idea to think that one image bearer of God can own another. That Christians, when they finally were in leadership, the church was illegal until the emperor Constantine legalized it and made it the state religion of Rome when Christians started entering public service and they were able to bring their Christian faith into the public square, it was not, not 50 years after that that slavery as an institution began being attacked. Christianity led that charge. And if we're faithful to our Bibles, we will continue to lead that charge. That we will be against any oppression, any bondage, any demeaning of other image bearers of God, really anywhere. 
Slavery as an institution is dead. Legally, it should stay that way. Human trafficking persists on the black market, and we as Christians fight and stand against it as well. We believe men and women possess equal value, all men and women. Since slavery is not really in our view today, since it's, it's, it's legally been outlawed and it should be, how do we take a passage like we just read and say, well, we don't have such a thing as slaves and masters, praise God. But we believe that the, the Bible is true in every day, in every age, in every era. How are we supposed to take what Paul is saying here and apply it to our lives on a daily basis if this institution does not exist in our daily lives on a daily basis? The concepts still work out in the workplace. Employers, you are not superior owners of your employees. Employees respect your employers. I'm not the only one that interprets this passage this way. There are plenty of scholars who interpret this passage this way because what Paul is talking about is work ethic in a way that glorifies God. This passage does not endorse slavery as an institution. What this passage addresses is the same thing the rest of the book of Ephesians addresses, the heart in its relationship to Jesus Christ. So we're going to go down this passage and everywhere in it you hear servant, bond servant, or dare your Bible even say it, slave, I want you to think employee. Anywhere you see master, I want you to think employer. And praise God that we get to do that today because we don't have slaves and masters. So, let's start... In verse 5, we're going to divide this text into two halves today. You see why I said if you do this wrong, CNN would come talk to me? Isn't this scary? Let's do this. Um, first half of this passage, we're going to deal with employees. The second half of this passage, we're going to deal with employers. So first, employees should obey their employers first in the Lord. Look at verse 5. Bond servants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling in sincerity of heart as to Christ. Like I said before, bond servants, the Greek word doulos, it's commonly translated as slaves or servants. In our context, these would be employees. Then Paul turns around and says, be obedient. What does this word mean? Uh, I did not put these on your handout if you picked them up on the way in, but I'll give you several other instances where this word is used. It's used in Matthew 8, 7. So the men marveled, saying, Who can this be that even the winds and the sea obey Him? This is the word obey that was used when Jesus got frustrated that they were afraid they weren't going to make it across the lake alive. And they wake Him up from His nap. And Jesus gets up, looks at the storm and says, Hey, will you quiet down? Thank you. And it does. And everybody else on the boat freaks out because the weather is obeying him. That's this word. You saw this word last week, Ephesians 6, 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Paul uses the same word for employees and employers. Hebrews eleven eight, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. It means to hear. It means listen to. It means heed. Employees, that is what Paul says you should do to your employer. But then he turns around and says, to those who are your masters according to the flesh. 
Now, in the first century, yes, there would have been slaves and masters. But Paul is going so far as to say, remember, they are only your masters as far as the flesh is concerned. That is an earthly distinction. That is a temporal distinction. This is where Paul begins his assault on the idea of slavery. He is instructing the church to remember, in the eyes of God, every single one of you are equal. This was a revolutionary concept. Some of y'all probably listen to me and saying, well, duh, of course we're all equal. That's, we understand this. We know this. We've known this for years. But this was a revolutionary concept when Paul dropped it. There are records of Roman slave masters blowing off their steam just because they had a bad day by whipping and torturing their slaves. They didn't care. There are records of them say, say they, they would classify property in these ways. They would call them the articulate and then they would move to animals and then they would move to inanimate objects. In a Roman slave master's eyes, the only difference between a slave and a horse was that the slave could talk. That's the only difference. That should appall you. Do you know why that does? Because you have been raised in a society today that has actually been affected by the Word of God. And you go, but wait a minute, we're men and women made in the image of God. Exactly, you've caught on to Paul's radical statement. That's why this idea is offensive to you. And if that idea is not offensive to you, you really need to check yourself. I would like to introduce you to Jesus. But he introduces this idea that they're only masters according to the flesh. Employees, remember, when your employer tells you to do something... He is only your superior in the sense that that is an earthly distinction. He is your equal in the eyes of God. And Paul says you are, to, you are to obey with fear and trembling in sincerity of heart as to Christ. If Bruce says it is to Christ rather than their earthly masters that slaves should fear, although the fear of Christ will teach them to show due reverence and respect to their earthly masters. As far as employees go... Um, you are not ever to obey your employer if your employer tells you to do something that is contrary to the Word of God. If your employer tells you to do something dishonest for the good of the business, you have two choices. You can either obey your employer and disobey God, or you can obey God and disobey your employer. But pastor, that might cost me my job. Yep. It might. But pastor, my boss is not a Christian. Nope, neither is he nor she God. Whoever determines what you're morally willing to do, that's your God. Christ, God, is my master. I am Christ's slave. I'm not Christ's employee. That's one reason that I keep using the uncomfortable words. 
Because in today's society, we don't have doulos. We don't have slaves. We don't have masters. But to God, guess what? I'm a slave. I'm literally bought and owned by Jesus Christ. And the price was His blood. I am, I am God's property. So, when I obey Christ at the expense of disobeying my employer, I'm merely doing the will of the one who bought me. My employer doesn't own me. My God does. I am His. And He's a good master. I want to obey Him. I want to serve Him. I want to love Him. So employees, obey your employers in the Lord. Never against the Lord. And normally I give you supporting Scripture on your handout. I'm not right now because you're surra- it's surrounded by it. It's in the same section of Scripture where it mentions wives um, it, and husbands. It mentions husbands loves your wives. It mentions children obey your parents. The same concept that, that we do this as an extension of our obedience and submission to Jesus. You never obey or submit in opposition to Jesus. So first, let's get that out of the way. That, that we're not obeying because of natural superiority. We're obeying because we obey Jesus. We want to be good employees because we want to obey Jesus. So second, employees should obey their employers um, with a Christian work ethic. There's something to be said for a good work ethic in today's society. There ain't much of it. (laughs) Um, Look at verse 6. Chapter 6, verse 6. Not with eye service as men pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. We've all worked with these people. (laughs) Um, These are the folks who want to put a quick veneer on whatever it is they're doing so that if your boss comes by to see if they're working... I'll tell you all the dumbest story, but this is legitimately the best example I can come up with. Um... How many of y'all like, do any of y'all like college basketball at all? I do. No, there are like three hands in here. I, I love all of you. Um, when I was in college, the NCAA started doing this new thing with the March Madness, with the, the championship tournament. You could watch it online. And they have a button at the top right of the screen when you're watching the tournament called the Boss Panic Button. I was like, the boss panic button? What does it do when you click this? You click the boss panic button and it pops a picture up on your screen that makes you look like you're working. So that if you're watching the tournament at work and your boss starts coming, you click the panic button and it makes it look like you're working in Excel or Microsoft Word. And when your boss leaves, you click the X on the fake Excel and the game comes back. People use this in class. I just left the game up. <laughs> but these are folks who they, they only want to please their boss in so much as it keeps them out of trouble. 
eye service, men pleasers. Paul says, employees, don't do that. Your witness for Christ is on the line. So don't, don't think when you go to your job, don't think of it as just, oh, bleh, I've got to do this. Now, you're going to have those days. You will. But when you want to get through those days, think, I'm not doing this to please men. I'm not doing this to please people. I'm doing this to please Christ as a bondservant of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. Doing the will of God from the heart. That this is about serving Jesus. Now li listen, listen to this. Matthew 23 verse 25. Woe to you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you cleanse the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside they are full of extortion and self-indulgence. Now, the reason this is... I'm going to address beyond just employees and employers right now. There is a sense in which we are slaves and masters. And actually, we're slaves. He's the master. That's the sense in which that still applies. Are you guilty of ever doing this with God? You, that you do just enough so that everybody else looks at you and says, oh, that's a good Christian. That's a solid Jesus lover right there. Do you ever find yourself saying, well, I've got to do this because if I don't, what are they going to think about me at church? But Paul tells us in this passage, it doesn't matter what they think about you at church. It matters what he thinks about you in heaven. Now, I love all of you. But I'll say something one of my seminary professors said to me. I don't work for you. I work for Him. And He has stationed me here to serve you. I don't say what I say so that I can draw a paycheck. If Scripture ever were to tell me something that to, say, to say, if I were ever to come across a passage in this Bible and the choice was draw a paycheck and not say it or say it and get fired, I'm going to be looking for a job. Because I don't work here for a paycheck on this side of eternity. I work for the Lord Jesus Christ. So, when you're working, don't think so much about whether or not you're, you're pleasing your boss. Work to please Jesus with sincerity, with goodwill, as a bondservant of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. The Pharisees spiritually did what Paul said not to do. They did everything so that people would look at them on the outside and say, oh, those are fine, upstanding people. They did everything the way they were supposed to. And Jesus called them out on the inside. He said, the, the, the outside of the cup and the dish is clean, but the inside of it is full of extortion and self-indulgence. You're doing everything, Pharisees, so that people will look at you and think you're good on the outside, but you're dead and disgusting and nasty on the inside. What's going on in your heart?
both in serving God and when you go to work. Do you cuss your boss under your breath every time he or she tells you to do something? That's not serving. That's not doing the will of God from the heart. When Jesus calls you to do something uncomfortable, do you grumble? Well, I'm going to do this or they're going to think I don't love Jesus. It's about Jesus, not what they think. So employees should work with a Christian work ethic. Second, or third, you should, the employees should uh, work for their employers with a godly attitude. And I know we're moving, but there's a lot in here. Verse 7. With good will doing service as to the Lord. Good will is the Greek word eunoia. It, it's a combination of two different Greek pieces. There's a prefix, which means you. Um, and the word noia or knowest, which can mean mind. So you're to do it with a good mind. One of my dictionaries defined it as eagerness, and another one defined its verb form as being benevolent or being accommodating. This means when your boss asks you to do something, you do it with a good attitude and with eagerness. Now this can be in the workplace, or this can be straight directly from Jesus. Now, we have started doing uh, Exodus in Sunday school. We started it this morning. There is a passage in the wilderness wandering. Some of you may remember this. If not, it's a crazy story, but it's awesome. Go home and read it. This is actually in Numbers. Do you, any of y'all remember the fiery serpents? There is a point where the Israelites start complaining why did you bring us out here? You should have left us in Egypt. You brought us out here to die in this desert. We're hungry. We're thirsty. Why would you bring us out here? You don't love us. God don't love us. Wham, 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 wham. And do you know what God did? He sent a bunch of snakes and they started biting people and they started dying. Well, that's mean. Tell it to him. I, I didn't do it. He did which probably means our determination of what's fair or what's worth it is a little bit off because he's God and he's never wrong. Do you know what God identified as the reason for that particular judgment? Complaining. Complaining. Paul says with goodwill, with a good mind, with eagerness, doing service as to the Lord. Listen to this in Proverbs chapter 10, verse 26. As vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eye. Have you ever just got that real, you bite into something that's vinegary, and it just hits your teeth in that weird way, and you're like, ugh, what was that? Something just with a real sharp flavor you weren't expecting, and it's not vinegary in a good way. How about getting smoke in your eyes? Have you ever been by a campfire or a grill or something? You're like me and you try and cook something and it goes horribly and the smoke goes and it blows back and it hits your eye and it just stings and they water and it doesn't really hurt. It's just annoying. Have you ever had that feeling? Listen to Proverbs 10, 26. As vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes, so is the lazy man to those who send him. 
Now, I've got Old Testament evidence, I've got Proverbs, and now I've got Ephesians 6, verse 7, telling me that not only does it annoy your employer when you're lazy, it bothers God when you're lazy. My toes really hurt right now because I'm stomping on my own. We can all be pretty lazy if we don't look out. We can get comfortable and we can go, okay, I've done enough. We're good. God says, vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes. So is the lazy man to those who send him. Matthew 25, 25 through 26. This is in the middle of a parable where God has given basically an investment to several people and then the, the, the person who gave the investment goes off to a far country and then comes back later and expects to get a return on his investment. And this one guy said, well, you know what? I know that you're a hard man and, and you, you invest your money and you reap where you haven't sowed. So what I did was I just buried what you gave me and I'm just going to give it back to you now that you're back. Here you go. You've got what you left me. Didn't do anything with it. God gave him a talent. Now that was, a, that was an ancient measure of money, but appropriately, God also gives us talents. He gives us gifts. He gives us abilities. He gives us resources. And God expects to see a return on his investment. He expects, and I'm not just talking about money. God, God would be very frustrated with me if I was not doing what I'm doing right now. And you know, I, I didn't start out planning to go into the ministry. I, I didn't want to do it to begin with. And you know what? God did this thing where he made everything else in my life miserable. And I kept saying, I don't want to do it. And God said, well, I don't want you to do anything else. Let's see who wins. He won. And you know what? I love this now. I'm where God's called me to be. And if God has called you to use what He's given you or engage in service where He has called you and you bury your talent in the ground, listen to this, Matthew 25, 25, and 26. I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. But his Lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. It annoyed the master that he had given this person everything they needed to serve him and rather than serve him, they chose to bury it and just give it back to him when they saw him again. Guys, did God give you a spiritual gift when he saved you and you proverbially bury it in the dirt and you're planning on giving it back to him when you see him again? With no increase, do you really want to stand before God one day when you breathe your last or when Jesus returns and Jesus said, I gave you the spiritual gift of teaching. I gave you the spiritual gift of mercy. I gave you the spiritual gift of hospitality. I gave you the spiritual gift of whatever. Go, go find you one of these lists of spiritual gifts. We covered them earlier in this passage or earlier in this book. I gave you this gift what have you done with it? And you said, well, Jesus, 
I know that you're a difficult master. And you reap where you have not sown. So this gift you gave me, what I did, I, I was scared of talking in front of people. More than I was scared of disappointing you. So I buried my gift of speaking. And now that I'm before you again in judgment, here you have what's yours. Jesus, I know you gave me the gift of mercy, but the truth of the matter is, when I was alive, I just flat didn't like people because they got on my nerves. So I buried your gift of mercy because I think I'm a better judge than you, and I gave them what they deserved and didn't use what you gave me. So here's your gift of mercy back. Here you have what's yours. Jesus, I know you gave me the gift of teaching, but I would rather be taught. And I mean, geez, they know where the church is. If they want to learn, they can come and let somebody else teach them. I shouldn't have to do it. So I buried your gift of teaching here. You have what's yours. What do you think Jesus is going to say? You wicked, lazy servant. How do I know that's what he's going to say? That's what he told me he's going to say. God has given each and every single one of us a gift. If you come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. If you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, your number one goal today is to be purchased by Him. Let me tell you what, being a slave to Jesus is the freest you've ever been. Because if you're not a slave to Him, you're a slave to your flesh. And if you want to know what a cruel master is, go look in the mirror. Come to Jesus and be free. But when you come to Jesus and He purchases you and you become His, He gives you a gift and He expects a return on His investment. Serve Him. Then finally, listen to your employer as part of seeking God's blessing. Verse 8, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. In the same way we don't fear our boss according to the flesh, we fear the Lord and therefore obey our bosses. We don't seek the reward that our, employee, our employers give us according to the flesh. 2 Corinthians 5.10 We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he's done, whether good or bad. This means when you get up and go to work or when you get up and go do whatever you're doing, do it in order to please God, not in order to please someone else. Well, I don't know how I'm going to please God in my job. My job seems so insignificant. My job seems so menial. But do you know what? That doesn't matter. It has nothing, it, it has way less to do with what you're doing than it has to do with how you're doing it. Did your boss tell you to go scrub a toilet? Rather than saying, I ain't scrubbing no toilet. I'm above that. Why not be a witness and say, this is going to be the cleanest toilet you have ever seen. Do it, do it like you're scrubbing a toilet for Jesus. Does that sound silly? 
Scrub a toilet for Jesus. Sweep a floor for Jesus. And I want to address something else that, that just popped into my mind. Maybe, maybe Jesus reminded me of it, maybe not. I know some of y'all either were or are stay-at-home moms. Let me tell you something. My wife's going to go back to work at the end of maternity leave. That's the plan. But right now, she's staying at home with the baby. Y'all, that's work. That is dignified, hard, demanding work. And I've read it before and I appreciated it, but not as much as I do now. Somebody insulted the wife of a pastor one time and said, I bet your wife's just a stay-at-home mom. And he said, how dare you insult my wife by saying just a stay-at-home mom. She is training my children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. She's teaching them how to live their life. What higher calling is that? Like, what higher calling is there than that? Stay-at-home moms, sing, sing. what you do, I was raised by a single mom. What you do is dignified, hard, demanding work. Do it for Jesus. It's easy to feel like nobody sees you and nobody appreciates you. Jesus does. There are very few jobs that will have the impact on the world as the job you are doing right now. Don't let that go. Do it as part of seeking God's blessing because one day you're going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ if you're a Christian and you will receive the things done in the body, whether good or bad. It will make a difference. So employees, that's your relationship to your employers. Now we can flip the script and briefly talk about employers. Paul only gives them uh, one verse. But there's a lot that happens in the first half. Employers should treat their employees as men and women of equal value. The first half of verse 9, he says, And you masters do the same things to them. There's that radical idea again. That employers and employees, that masters and slaves, that men, women, boys and girls, they're equal in value. One is not superior to the other. This would have been extremely radical right then. Because Paul would have reminded the masters of the slaves, Hey, remember, you're no better than them. They're no worse than you. You are equal in the eyes of God. Striking a blow at this idea of slavery again. It doesn't mean we should not have authority structures. In the workplace, I'm not suggesting bosses should obey their employees in the context of work. I used to work at a hardware store. You know what would have happened if I looked at my manager and said, Hey, why don't you go stack those bags of cow manure? I'll watch the register. You know what would have happened? I would have been stacking bags of cow manure while being laughed at. That's not the way it works. And I loved my boss, by the way. He was awesome. But Paul is reminding his employers, remember that that superiority is only according to the flesh. In God's economy, there is no such thing as a superior human, regardless of their station in life, as we may see it here. So again, I did not give you any supporting scriptures because we've covered this whole thing in this section here. I just wanted to remind you and point out that Paul says do the same things, employers, to your employees. That you don't have some special status to God that means it's okay to mistreat them. 
And second, treat your employees well knowing that God is watching. Look at the second half of this verse. Knowing that your own master. How many of you in your Bible that word master is capitalized? You know who that means it's talking about? God. Your heavenly master. And remember, Paul's writing to believers here. These are folks who claim to know the Lord Jesus. They've been saved in a society where they may come into it with some less than ideal life situations. And he's reminding them, masters, for you, employers, remember that your heavenly master is watching you. He is in heaven and there is no partiality with him. That means that God does not care how rich, distinguished, and quote-unquote educated you are. None of that gives you the right to mistreat another person because you think they're less than you. Y'all, there's, there's not much... John Calvin put it this way. Human beings are really just kind of like blades of grass that argue a lot of time who is the taller blade of grass. And there are two things we don't realize. One, well three actually. One, we're all tiny. We're all tiny. If a blade of grass is taller than another one, it ain't by much. Second, none of them even exist other than the fact that they have no idea that they're all dependent on the sun that's shining down on them. We're like blades of grass comparing who's taller. We are all dependent on the sun and they really ain't that much difference between any of us anyway. There is no reason to look at another human being and treat them as less than you or think of them as less than you or value them less than you or care about them less than you. Because your master is in heaven and there is no partiality with him. When it comes to judgment, God is not going to look at one person and treat them one way because they were rich or educated or lived in a particular subdivision or house and another person because they live somewhere else. In God's eyes, there is true, total, and complete justice. There is not going to be a class of people in the judgment that you go, oh, this is just not fair. There will be no such thing as not fair. So employers, remember, God is watching. God has a special place in his heart for those who are oppressed and downtrodden and mistreated. Exodus chapter 22, verses 22 through 24. You shall not afflict any widow or fatherless child. If you afflict them in any way and they cry it all to me, I will surely hear their cry and my wrath will become hot and I will kill you with the sword. Your wives shall be widows and your children fatherless. We covered the very beginning of the book of Exodus today. And... God told Moses when he called him, I have heard the cries of my children in Egypt. They have risen to me in heaven, and so I am sending you. 
Moses, and I will bring them out of that land to a good land and flowing with milk and honey. The cries of God's oppressed people rose up to him. And I keep reading in Exodus. Did the wrath of God fall on Egypt or not? It did. And farther along in the book of Revelation, there is a group of people slain for their faith who sit before the throne of God crying out day and night, how much longer until you avenge us on the earth? And God doesn't say, I'm not going to do it. He says, just a little bit longer. Just a little bit longer. What I want to implore you to do today as we're closing out is I want to beg you if, if, if you don't know Jesus, I want to beg you to come to Jesus Christ to become, yes, a slave of God. You give up your free will to Jesus Christ. I've been insulted before as a Christian because they say, you don't even think for yourself. And my response is, no, I don't. Jesus does. That doesn't mean I don't use my brain, but that does mean that when God has an opinion on something, my opinion doesn't matter. In fact, my opinion needs to change. And do you know what that provides me? That provides me freedom from my flesh. That provides me freedom from the ever-changing winds of culture. That provides me freedom from damage in my marriage. That provides me freedom from being afraid that my child's not going to know whether or not she's a boy or a girl when she grows up. That provides me all kinds of things. The life of slavery to Christ is amazing. But because of my slavery to Christ, I'm violently against slavery to anyone else. Or treating people like they are one, even if you're just an employee. As an employee, respect and honor your boss. Serve them as an extension of your service to Jesus. Now, if you're here today and you are not a servant of Jesus, I want to offer you the opportunity to come to Jesus. He paid the price for you with his blood on the cross. He purchased you if you're just willing to come to him. And with that comes freedom from the world and forgiveness of sin. You can have that today. The cost for you is nothing. It's already paid. Come to Jesus Christ and find freedom. Isn't that ironic? God calls us to become his slaves so that we can find freedom in him. But being a slave to Christ means I'm free in regards to everyone else. So I want to invite you to come to Jesus. You have several different ways to do that. If you picked up a bulletin, you have a guest card on the side. If you're absolutely terrified of coming to talk to me down the aisle, you can put that in the offering plate when it comes by. If you're a guest with us this morning, we don't want your money. Um, your, your name and the way to contact you is your gift to us. We'd like to follow up with you and know how we can minister to you. You can fill out that guest card and put it in the offering plate when it comes by. We will. You can come down the aisle and let me know, hey, I'm, I'm interested in talking to you a little bit later about what it would mean to give my life to Christ. Or you can catch me at the back door on the way out today. I just don't want you to leave without responding if the Holy Spirit's calling you. Uh, Abby and Joyce are about to lead us in a couple of verses of a hymn. And I'm going to pray. And if you need to come, uh, you come. Father.
Thank you so much for the opportunity to serve you today. Um, thank you so much for the privilege of, of belonging to you. Lord, I pray if there's anybody in here today who is just rebelling and saying, no, I maintain my freedom. I do not want to be a slave to God. I want to do what I want. I pray, Lord, that you would convict them in their spirit that that attitude is slavery. It's slavery to the flesh. It's slavery to the... the it's not that they can do whatever they want. It's that they must do whatever they want and accept all of its consequences. That they don't have a choice but to follow their flesh and the, the end thereof is destruction. Lord, I pray that you would advise them they need freedom. They need to come to you and learn to obey you instead of their sinful flesh and therefore find life. Lord, I pray freedom for them. Lord, I pray for a change of hearts in all of our people that we would learn to be better employees and employers, myself included. Um, Lord, we want to honor you in how we live our lives. Lord, I pray that if there are those who are calling here today, you would bring them forward in boldness to say, I need to give my life to Christ because I'm a sinner in need of salvation. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat>